This is episode 169 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're continuing Men's Roundup 2016 with Gus Bess. This is session two, Saturday morning. Good morning, men of God. Woo! This is the day the Lord has made. Yes, I will rejoice. That's a choice I make. I will rejoice and I will be glad in it. That is the prayer. Do you feel the same way? You know what I'm thinking? Jesus, I fall on my knees. I am offering all of me. That's what most men are afraid to do. They're afraid to offer all that they are. I want you to know the man that stands before you today is a reprobate that has been made into a righteous man. Okay, I was a reprobate. I deserve to go to hell. And if God sends me to hell, even on that day, I will declare he is righteous and just. But he poured out grace and mercy upon me. And so we're going to talk today about the need of the hour. We're talking about the prayer of a righteous man. And that's what you are. That's what you were intended to be. That's what God gave. And I thought about what he was reading out of the scriptures out of Matthew 5. If a man hungers and thirsts for this righteousness, he's going to be satisfied. He's going to be filled. He's going to be overwhelmed. Righteousness, to be delivered, to understand a life that is so renewing. So I'm going to, if you want to look at 1 Thessalonians, I want you to see something. 1 Thessalonians 5. I call it the need of the hour. Most men don't know how to pray. Do you want to know the truth? They don't know what to say. They don't in their homes. A lot of men today, a lot of you here today may be hooked into pornography. You may be hooked into an old nature of being irritated quickly. Someone tries to help you out and you feel, you feel you're being criticized. You don't feel like, oh, these must be the words of wisdom that are sharpening me into a better man. I love that idea. Iron sharpens iron. Well, you just keep that to yourself, okay? I don't mind sharpening you, but you leave me alone. That kind of a thing. And I look at this. We're going to look at what is the need of the hour. The need of the hour is that righteous men know how to pray, that righteous men know how to live. And you think about 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. It starts off this way. Be joyful always. How often? Always. Now, are you joking? Don't you ever say to the Lord, are you kidding? You know, you said if I love you, keep your commands. Now, what in the world is it that you want out of me anyway? You said if I love you, I have to obey your commands. What in the world do you want? Well, try this, Gus. I'd like you to delight in me so that I can give you the desires of your heart. Rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. Be joyful always. Give thanks in everything, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Seek my kingdom first before anything else. Let my righteousness, let my peace, that that harmony dwell within you so well, you won't contain yourself. There will be a joy in the midst of a storm. You will know what Hannah felt when she was in anguish and yet says, I, yet I rejoice in the Lord in the midst of a storm. It doesn't mean we're not going to have some hard times. But the need of the hour is that men of God would understand, righteous men of God, you've got to know and have received, you can't make yourself righteous. You cannot improve your sinful nature. It is impossible. You must receive a new nature. You must receive it. You can't earn it. You can't make it happen. You've got to let it happen. And it lets by faith, I take God and his breath. This book that we call the Bible, we've turned it into an academic study. 
And we all think about theologians. And yes, you can do that. But you can be a theologian, handle the Word of God so accurately, and not know righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. When you open this book, you open it up to as receive breath. All Scripture is God-breathed. I, I, give, I was looking in my Bible today, and I had so many things I used to just give away. I don't have them anymore, but I used to produce a thing like this, and I always, everywhere I went, I handed it out. And here's what it says, the breath of God. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. In Job, I told you last night, if it were his intention and he withdrew his spirit and his breath, all mankind together would return to the dust. Receive this breath, men, as the rain and the snow came down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out of my mouth. Listen to these men. Receive the breath of God. Open it and inhale. Receive it. There is a righteousness to be had. And from first to last, we talk about the gospel and evangelism. What is evangelism? Would you receive the grace of God? Are you ready? Are you ready to take it in? Are you ready to be free from the domination of the power of the sin nature you were born with? Listen to what he says. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and it judges the attitudes of my heart. All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God, who are you? You're men of God, amen? Amen. Are you righteous men of God? Amen? Are you righteous men of God? Have you received it? Are you ready? You look at this, so that the man of God is equipped for every good work. Because without righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, you're not. And every time a hard time comes, it doesn't matter what it is. Some of you have gone through divorce. Some of you are in divorce. Some of you are broken. And the wounds of that. I remember a guy telling me, you know, well, I divorced my wife and we did it very friendly. We were very friendly divorce. And I said, you did what? I said, the, the term divorce means to rip off. So if I came up and divorce your arm from your body, do you think I can do it as your friend? <laughs> we have gotten so stupid. The Word of God. This is meant to be more. I put it on here so every man would remember. This is meant to be more than an exchange of information. It's meant to be an encounter with life. And sometimes we, we think, oh, I should read the Word of God. If I had a better devotional life, I had a better, a better quiet time. What kind of a deal is that? What is a quiet time? Who wants to be quiet? I don't want to be quiet. I woke up out of a dead sleep this morning. I don't know what I was dreaming, but I woke up out of a dead sleep singing to the Lord. I was singing at the river. <laughs> At the river. Man, I, was, I need to be at that river, Lord. I got sins that need to be dealt with. I, I have a really good gift in this body. It sins. And I, and I get to offer it back to you as a living holy sacrifice. I want to read something to you guys. And it's, it's one of my favorite uh, psalms. And listen to these words. This is a command of the Lord. Shout for joy to the Lord. Shout for joy to the Lord. Who? all the earth. Shout for joy. Something happens when a man becomes in that moment. What does it say? 
Shout for joy to the Lord. Who do you shout for joy to? To the Lord. What does it mean to shout for joy to the Lord? (laughs) You ever been to a football game? I happen to be a Seahawks fan. Okay. (laughs) I brought my Seahawks shirt. I'll probably wear it later, you know. But I looked at it and I said, shout for joy to the Lord. I ask guys all over, what does it mean to shout for joy to the Lord? If you were Marines, you would know what that means. Shout for joy. Right? Try this. Try it. Could, do you think right now, are you willing, would you be willing to try to shout for joy to the Lord? Would you be willing? Just try this with me. We'll find it. You watch. I mean, there's a sin nature in you. I promise you, the sin nature does not want you to experience the joy of the Lord. It does not. There's something hindering you. It holds you back. You want to put your hands in your pocket. He's not going to make me do that. I'm not going to listen to that lowlifer. I'm not going to do it. And I, can, I remember being like that. I will tell you about how I came back to God. I, to, I told the Lord to take a hike. I, when my best friend was killed in Vietnam, I led him to Christ. I wrote the Gospel of John. I read it, read it, read it. I read it so much that I memorized it in the King James Version of all things. Okay? And I would share, and we would drink, we would sit, be drinking Budweiser, and I'm sharing the Gospel of John. And we memorized the preamble on the Budweiser can. Okay? And one day, Larry, we're in the Marines together, and I want to go to Vietnam, and we're in school together and everything, and he, and he gets orders for Vietnam, and I get orders for Cuba. <laughs> kind of a stupid thing as that, Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. And I, so we try to get it flipped. They wouldn't flip it. Two and a half months before that happened, I led him to Christ. He came to know the Savior. And the last time I saw Larry, I said, Larry, don't worry about it. You get on that plane, you go kick butt over there, and I'll see you in 13 months. Jesus Christ. Don't remember this, Larry. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, Jesus Christ is with you. He'll never leave you. Go. 16 days after getting into Vietnam, he was killed. I'm down in Cuba when I get the noise. I get a loud letter from my dad. Larry has been killed. You can't imagine the wounds I felt at that age. I was 19 years old and I was hurt and I never knew what wailing was until that moment. I'm in a Marine Corps platoon getting mail. I walked out of the platoon. You don't do that. The gunnery sergeant said to me, best get your blankety blank back. And I kept on walking. And for three days I laid in the rack and wept. And when I woke up out of that weeping, I told the Lord, you can take your Jesus and stick him up your rear end. I said, if you have one. And after that, I chose to live in sin as much as I could. I was so stinking angry. I volunteered five times in writing to get to Vietnam. I'm going to go kill those gooks. I'm going to waste their face. I want to be there. I am an angry man. And I go over to Vietnam, and I'm in patrol, and I volunteered for every combat situation. I did the dumbest things you've ever seen. I mean, I can't even tell you all the stupid, idiot things I did. And I could feel his presence. God wouldn't listen to me. I told him, leave me alone. I always went to my left shoulder. Get off my back. Just get off my back. I don't want you here. I told you to leave me. And they would say, if we ever got hit, get around Bess. He's got an oar around him. He can't get killed. (laughs) I'm telling you, God saved my stupid life. I have been an idiot. Maybe some of you haven't been idiots like me. Maybe some of you never knew the Lord and still chose to sin. Maybe some of you weren't immoral. Some of you weren't foul-mouthed. Some of you weren't angry. Some of you didn't know what irritations are. I had dug a trench in my life that was immoral. It was angry. I was irritated. And I, didn't, I wanted to be left alone. 
Great, great place for a husband to be. I'm going to tell you what, it's amazing I stayed married. My, my wife even stayed married to me. I, I look back at these days, and all of a sudden, I'm going to teach you about what it's like to be a righteous man. Do you know what? In that state, I was still a righteous man. Did you know that? I was still a righteous man. Did I know what it was? Not a clue. Was I going to let you see it? In fact, my buddies would tell me every single time, I'd get so stinking drunk, I couldn't remember what I did the night before. When we'd be in the rear area, I was hardly ever there. But when I was there, I went and instantly got drunk. And they would, I'd say, oh, Gus, you can't even believe what you did last night. And I'd say, what? And he says, but every time you get that way, you start preaching Jesus out of some gospel of John. <laughs> <laughs> You think the Holy Spirit has a sense of humor? <laughs> Men of God, I'm going to talk to you about what it's like for a righteous man to repent. I'm going to talk to you that righteousness comes from the King of kings and Lord of lords. And when a man receives Christ, that man, that man, God says, I'm going to tell you something, Gus, right now. Never again will sin separate you and me. My son paid it all. My son paid it all. Every sin you could commit, every foul thing you could do, I put on him on that cross. And Gus, you know when I did it. You heard him. You heard my son cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because I turned him into sin. And I cannot be in sin. I have nothing in me that can be in sin. And I made my own son become sin so that you, Gus, would become my righteousness. See, men of God, we are called here on this day. Some of you have sins that have been wasting your face, the sin of anger, the sin of jealousy, whatever it is, the brokenness, you can't get over it, the sin of porno, lust, and all this. Sin takes our beautiful sexual acts with our wives and the wonderful physical relationship and perverts them into a sick place. And we've all been there. To say that we haven't been there, we're lying. And oh, by the way, he cures lying too, okay? <laughs> I want to give this to you. We're going to talk about this. That's the need of the hour. Our country's going to hell in a handbasket. And the need of the hour is righteous men to rise up as righteous men. They would rise up in righteousness. They'd rise up in peace and the harmony in the Holy Spirit. And they would be men known for being the joy of the Lord is their strength. The joy of the Lord. This is what we were called for. And so I begin, and I want to start this, and before I take you any further, I want to give you, the, I want you to receive God's eternal breath. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Listen to this. Come before the Lord with joyful songs. Do you, do you hear any negative there? Do you hear any griping and complaining? No. And if you've been in sin right now in a nanosecond in your chair, Repent. In a nanosecond, you're free. Do you know that God, the blood of Christ has covered you? Do you know that right now you can rejoice in the Lord? Do you know right now you can stand? I'm going to ask you in a minute to stand with me, and I'm going to ask you to do something. You're, you, no one can make you do this. No one. You have to make a choice. You have to let the peace of Christ, let his righteousness, let his will be done in your life. You must surrender your will. Your will be done on earth. Your will. Your kingdom come. Your will. I'm going to surrender my all. I surrender it, Lord. I'm going to stand before you. I'm going to lift up my holy hands, and I am going to give a shout for the joy of the Lord. Now, if you can do that with me, would you please stand? Would you stand? And then I'm going to ask you to lift your hands. If you can, lift your hands. I'm going to ask you to lift your hands, and I'm going to say on one and on three, let us. You make the choice. Give a shout to the joy of the Lord. One. Two, three, roll!
Yeah! Amen, men of God. Don't you feel good? Amen. That's the need of the hour. That's the need of the hour. Men of God, you may be seated. If you'd like, you can go ahead and sing. And if you want to dance in the aisles, you go right ahead. I mean, I look at the Lord and I'm, I'm thinking of a man and I was thinking of the joy. And I, a long time ago, many years ago, I, I've been in Russia and Ukraine and I was doing different. I got so many stories about that. But uh, uh, Gennady Church, I can't remember how to say it. Krychikov, anyway, he, was, he used to be the president of the Evangelical Council of Churches in the USSR. And he said, we're asking about prayer, and I used to have a, tonight I'll talk to you about our battering ram, our battering ram against the gates of hell. You know, I'm looking, I always tell everybody, I'm looking for 300 men that want to get into a fight. You know, if you know 300 men that want to get into a fight, please let me know, because I'm looking for 300 men that want to get into a fight for the glory of God and the souls of men. I said, let's go knock down those doors. Let's take those gates down. There's not an amount of darkness on the planet that can overcome the light of the gospel of Jesus the Christ. I want you to know there's not a place he can't save. I want you to know that he is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. How many? All. That is every human being on the planet. The worst sinners of all. The, 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 the foulest thing you've ever seen. And pray a blessing on them. I want you to know these, these are the things God has called us to do. But here's what he said about our prayers. He goes, he says, we need your prayers in the USSR. Please, I, we, this was years ago. But please, you Americans, live your lives in such a way that your prayers will be heard. Isn't that an amazing thing? Isn't that just amazing, men of God? We need to be changed. I, I tell you, we, J.C. Ryle put it this way, prayer and sinning will never go together in the same heart. I can't pray with the joy of the Lord. The moment I surrender my life and I wake up in the morning and I thanked him for allowing me to sing and I, before I got out of bed, I said, I'm here for your glory. I have your breath. Your breath has become my breath. Your word has become my word. Let's go rock and roll on this new day. <laughs> Don't you love waking up like that? I always tell the Lord, I, I love these dreams he gives to me. I can't even tell you, I'm a dreamer. I, I and feel his good pleasure and I just want to go shake the earth. And I said, let's do something, men. Rise up and shake it out. And I, I, I want you to know, on the eve, I want, to th I want you to know what righteousness, I want you to know what a righteous man looks like. I want you to know what will happen to you in your righteousness. If you will come and receive the righteousness of God, which is a repentant heart, a willing heart, thy kingdom come. I'm in the prayer. Hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Please let it come upon me. I receive that. Let your will be done. I want your will. I don't want my will anymore. I want your breath. I don't want my breath. I was born in sin. I want you, and I want you alone, and I'm going to receive you. I'm not looking for a religious experience. I'm looking for you. I want you and you alone. I want you to accomplish whatever you want to do in my life. I want to know you in such a way that I can feel your good pleasure. I want to have your wisdom. I want to have your understanding. I want to have your knowledge. I want your breath to come so into me that every breath I take is from your breath. And I don't want to just read your word. I'm not in here to look at it in a study. And I will tell you about that in a moment. But, well, I'll tell it to you now. <laughs> when I, it's a long story how I got in the ministry. I mean, I, I, when I, I, I had told the Lord to take a hike. I, got, I met my wife in a nightclub. When I met her, before I met her, I was dating four gals at the time. And, and I had a race car. I had a 396, 500 horsepower, 411 in the Holly dual pump, 650 dual pumper on that thing. 11.6 uh, seconds a quarter mile. I had a truck and I had a motorcycle. I'm dating four beautiful gals. And I always told them this. I'm taking you out on a date, but believe me, I don't love you, so don't even go there, okay? 
I'm just taking you out on a date to have a meal, okay? You want a nice meal? Then I'll take you out. Okay, I like to hear you jaw jack. I, I like to hear you talk because I can never figure out how you can come to a conclusion. Okay? This is, this is the condition I was in. You know, I didn't know diddly squat. My friends are trying to get me to go to a nightclub because I'm a young man, there's so many females there. And I remember telling them, that's what I need. One more female in my life. So finally I told them, okay, I threw them the keys to the car. And they said, you're gonna let us drive this? And I said, yeah. And I sat in the back and I had a, a 50 cent piece, which I still have. When I was 10 years old, my grandfather gave it to me. My grandpa stayed, who I buried in Hawaii. And, I'm, set, and I'm, I'm in the back of the car. This is my good luck piece he gave it to me. I took it to Vietnam with me and everything. And I said, I'm looking on it and it says, in God we trust. See, I'd been converted, and I know that, but I didn't know what repentance was. I hadn't been in church. I I knew the gospel of John, but I didn't know what to do anymore with my life. And I was was still very, very angry with God and Jesus. I was angry. I was disappointed and angry. So I said on the money, I looked, and God we trust. I said to this God on our money, I want to make a deal with you. And then I went, oh, wait a minute, I can't make a deal with God. Because if he needs anything, he makes it himself. I can't make a deal with God because, I mean, what could I give God? I mean, he doesn't need anything. And then I thought, wait a minute, if he's God, he's going to know me. And if he knows me, he's going to know what I'm saying is the truth. And this is what I said to him that night on the way to this nightclub. I said, if you would do something with my life, I'm making money, I've got all this stuff, but I'm I'm just not a happy person. Most people thought I was happy. I did a lot of partying and all that stuff, but I'm not happy. I feel like there's a, 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 I'm stuck. There's a darkness. I don't know why I'm here. Why am I on the earth? I'm going to hit the compost someday. The body's going to the compost pile. So what's the purpose of all this? If I make all this money, I'm going to start these businesses and make all this money. What's the purpose? I just leave it to somebody else. And so what? So if you have sex and you do all this other stuff with all this, everybody's done that. Nobody looks happy. What's the purpose? What's the purpose of this thing? Okay? And I said, here's the deal. If you would do something with my life, I would even be willing to get married. That was like, kill me. <laughs> I was never going to get married. All my friends knew that if there's a person on the planet that's not going to get married, it's going to be Gus Bez. I walked in that nightclub about five minutes later. There was hundreds of people, way bigger than this room. I mean, it was huge. Big band over here, dance floor, bar 40 feet long over here. And it was like there was a light on Karen. I walked into that room. I'd never loved anybody in my whole life. And I'm telling you the truth. I walked in, and I was instantly in love with that woman. Didn't know her from diddly squat. She was such a sinner. I'm not kidding you. I I danced with her all night long. I didn't grow up in Christianity, but I grew up as a gentleman. My mom had to tell me the cotillion dancing. I always had to sit at the table, sit my sister at the table, sit my mom at the table at dinner, do all of that. My mom would always call me Gussie. Gussie, honey. When she said that in front of my Marine friends, I said, Mom. <laughs> Took a bunch of Marines home one time, and she said, Gussie, honey. I said, Oh, Mom. And, you know, but she did that, and she said, Gussie, I want you to know something. Every girl grows into a woman, but only some become ladies. And they become ladies because they're treated like it. And I'm going to teach you to treat every woman you ever meet all the days of your life like a lady, whether she is or not, because then you can help her get on because she doesn't feel she's a lady, and she's worth every moment of being treated like one. Men of God, godliness is a whole lot more than manners and etiquette, but it's never less.
We were meant to treat our wives with such honor and respect. We were meant to love them like Christ loved the church. So I look back at these days, and I eventually would get married. And anyway, I can't go into all the details. Karen got saved before that, and that just irritated me. I wasn't going to marry her because she turned into a Christian. (laughs) Honestly, I married her because she was foxy. That's no joke. That was the depth of my love. (laughs) The day we were getting married, I turned to my best man, the wedding's happening, and I said, I am not marrying her. He says, you can't leave. The wedding started. I mean, the bridesmaids were coming. I said, watch me, and I walked off the platform. And as I walked off the platform, in those days, you couldn't see your bride for 24 hours, and all of a sudden, the the organ went, da-da-da-da, and the back doors opened up. I'm standing down in the aisle, never wondering what was going on. They opened the door. She's standing there with her dad. I looked at her, and I turned around, walked back up with my friend. I'm going to tell you, God knows how to work our DNA. So I want to tell you about the joy you need. Men of God, the reason you're struggling in your prayers and who you are and sin sometimes dominates your life and you can't get over yourself is because the joy of the Lord is not your strength. Before he tells us to pray continually, he tells us to be joyful always. This is us. This ain't going down again on me. Okay. Can you hear me in here? You guys can hear me okay? I want to take you to, I want you to open your Bibles and I want to walk you through something here in a moment. And that's Psalm 51. I want to talk about a righteous man. And you know, you know Psalm 51. You know what it is. It's David. And he's committed adultery and all kinds of malfunctions. But I want you to know he's a righteous man. How do you know? God says, I was looking for a man after my own heart. And he chose David. David says he was a man after the heart. Did this man still sin? Yes, he did. Some of you have been in this room. You were raised in Christianity. And have you still had some opportunities? Yes, you have but I want you to know what righteousness is, and I want you to know the prayer of a righteous man. I want you to know that prayer and righteousness comes and is given so that you can have peace, so that you can have joy again in the Holy Spirit. I want you to know that God doesn't come with condemnation not one time. You condemn yourself for all your stuff. He's not. Romans 2, 4 says, it is the kindness of God that leads a man to repentance. It's my son, I love you too much. This isn't you. Let's you and I get out of here. Your sin is not going to separate me now from you. You're saying, I'm not leaving you. If you go off a horn, I'm going with you, but I'm going to get you out of here. We're gonna, son, this isn't you. This isn't you. Son, this is, oh, son, you didn't, did you say, did we just talk to your wife, our, your wife like that? Yes, we did. Oh, let's do something different. Amen, Father, let's do that. See, I want you to see this. I want you to understand that repentance isn't a moan and groan. You cannot repent in the beauty and receive the gift of righteous peace and joy in the Holy Spirit when you're constantly condemning yourself. You can't. You've got to know that the condemnation was taken by Christ. He condemned sin in Christ. He ended it there, in Christ. It is Christ alone. And when you understand that you're one of the greatest reprobates on the planet, and he took away your sin, you can't help but rejoice. Now and forever. Nothing's going to separate me. Nothing's going to separate me from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus my Lord. Nothing's going to separate See, that's the beauty. That's when a man becomes full of joy. Now watch this. Here is a righteous man in repentance. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. How do you have mercy on me? Oh, Father, I'm coming. Have mercy on me according to your unfailing love. This is it. I, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Don't you want to say that? 
I say it, I live that way. Oh, Father, I am beyond grateful. You've blotted out my transgressions. I am so not wanting to live that way anymore. I don't want to think that way. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my own sin. This is the prayer of a righteous man. This is the prayer of a man who used to have peace, but the peace had gone. And how did he know he needed to repent? Because his peace was gone. And if his peace was gone, so was his joy. He couldn't feel joy anymore. He lived with his hands in his pocket. He lived bent over. He lived like, oh, God, I'm a mess. Look what I have done. Look at me. Look, I, should, I can never get out of this. I, there's no way to get out of this. I, can't, I keep saying I'm not going to do it, but I keep doing it. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. I know who I am. Against you and you only have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight, so that you are, have proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely, and this is me, I think, I, by the way, you may not know it, but this is all of us right here. Listen to these wonderful words. Surely... I was sinful at birth. <laughs> Any of you men know that? Do you know that? Do you know that you were sinful at birth? You know, who ever taught a two-year-old to throw a fit? It's always amazed me. I go into a grocery store. Mom's got little Johnny. Johnny wants something, and all of a sudden, he hits the floor. Mom's embarrassed all over the place. And I'm thinking, well, don't be embarrassed. I think, you want to know what sin's like? Sin doesn't care who you are or what you are. Little Johnny's this big. She could drop kick him down the whole thing. And he doesn't care. I am here to make you look like an idiot. I'm here to put shame on your character. You created me. And watch this. And we've done the same thing. Who breathed into us? Who made us? Who created us? Who formed us in the womb before? Who knew us before we were ever born? Who knew our substance before it was there? God Almighty. And then we choose sin and we shame his name. We're not any different. Sin goes this way. And so watch what he does. Surely I was born in a sinful at birth, sinful from the time of my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in my inner parts. You teach me wisdom in my innermost. And here it is. Cleanse me with hyssop. Cleanse me. And if you have to go to Israel and understand the, the beauty of this hyssop, and I will be clean. And what they did in the, the altar over the doors with the hyssop. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Wash me. Oh, oh, let me hear. Let me hear joy and gladness. Men of God, do you want to hear it? Do you want to hear, do you want to hear joy and gladness? Our world's suffering from it. Darkness is overcoming our nation. We're more immoral than we've ever possibly dreamed. We could have never dreamed what was going to happen to this nation. The cursing we do. We were meant to have presidents and leaders that would lead us and say, we want our children to act like this. Let the, let the bones rejoice again. And then he says this, create in me a pure heart, O God. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take the Holy Spirit from me. And here it is, restore to me the joy. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Anyone ever need that? You sure do, dudes, if you're suffering. Last time you got in a fight with somebody, why did you argue? Why did you get irritated? It wasn't the Holy Spirit telling you that. It wasn't your new nature telling you, it's an old one. And so the idea is, what is the need of the hour? That men of God are righteous, that they know that they've received the righteousness of Christ. They come and receive it. They receive it. 
They can't make it happen, so they begin to let it happen. I've come to receive the righteousness of Christ. I've come to receive the presence of the peace of God. I've come to receive his joy, and I'm going to let it begin to happen. And when something like that happens now, then all of a sudden you don't get offended. You find the the beauty of righteousness on the cross. Jesus Christ, our righteous one. What does it look like? You forget to get mad. You You forget to be lustful. You forget. You think, I know I should have been. I, yes, you're right. That's what I, I forgot to get irritated. I forgot. You see Christ on the cross, and what happens on the cross himself, the very ones that put him there, they come up, they're spitting at him, sneering at him, and saying, if you be the Christ, come down. And what does he say to them? He says this, Father, forgive them. Don't pay any attention to them. Don't hold this against their charge. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. This is what happens when a righteous man, a righteous man finds someone in sin and he's just like what Paul said in Galatians 6, 1, you that are spiritual, you that are righteous, you get your brother into sin, go restore your brother. Don't condemn him, he's already condemned. He already feels like crap. He needs a breath. He needs a man to know it's not the end of the story, man of God. In a nanosecond, you can be brand new. In a nanosecond, this... This darkness that you think is holding you, it isn't. There are no chains on you. There's nothing shackled around your wrist. You're holding the chain. (laughs) Drop it. Amen? That's the blessing of Almighty God. He's come to give it to you today. He's coming to give it to you. Listen to this. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I love this. Then I will teach transgressors. Who am I going to teach? I'm gonna, I love transgressors. I, I was a bunch of old men the other day. <laughs> it's so funny. I look at these dudes and I think, man, they are really old. And then I find out they're just a few years younger than me. And I'm thinking, man, I don't look like you. <laughs> I mean, you're in a sorry condition. You know what I'm saying? And I'm sharing Christ about it. These guys are a bunch of golfers, and I'm sharing Christ. They ask me to talk about the table, and we're having a glass of wine. We're all jaw-jacking, and I'm just being me. And all of a sudden, they're asking me because I had a dear friend just drop dead and suddenly, and it just really was overwhelming to me. I experienced what the – they're always asking me, how do you know the joy of the Lord is your strength? And I said, I found out this. I said, I, I, when my friend Frank just dropped dead, I mean, he riding his bicycle 100 feet behind my house after just a little 40-mile ride, bam, dropped dead right on the motorcycle, still, still buckled it, you know, snapped into the, the pedals. And it overwhelmed me. And I, I stayed there with his body for about two hours in the street. And the police were there and kept cars away. And the, 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 they came to haul him off. And I thought, okay. And that's how I get with these men. But before that, the, the next day I woke up. It was on a Thursday morning. And I woke up just sobbing out of a dead sleep. Just sobbing. But while I was sobbing, the words that were coming from my mouth were, Oh, Father, how I praise you for Frank's salvation. <laughs> That's the joy of the Lord is your strength in the midst of the heartache. So I'm around these guys, and they ask me to come because they know me. They know who I am, and somehow they like me even though they don't know the Lord, and that's really fun, you know, a bunch of reprobates. And, and this one guy at the end, all of a sudden, they, they're all saying to me, oh, hey, Gus, I know you're leaving. you got to go, but did you know that Fred here is an atheist? And I said, I'm getting up, and I walk around Fred, this old man, you know, and I said, hey, Fred, you're an atheist, huh? Oh, praise God. I said, Man, are you in for a good ride. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, I want to talk to you again. I said, oh, you will. <laughs> Men of God, I want you to know something. Don't regard iniquity in your heart. The Lord will not hear you. 
He will not. I want you to know that the Lord has a plan of eternity for you. I want you to take this, the need of the hour is for you to lighten up, okay? The need of the hour is that you have to understand you're, you're afraid to be joyful. God gave me a command. He gave me a salvation. He lightened, he took away the power of my sin nature. He gave it a freedom to me that I am never guilty again. I haven't had one ounce of condemnation in over 40 years. I haven't had an anxious moment or a stressful time. Does not mean I haven't been hurt. Does not mean I haven't wailed before the Lord. I had long seasons of that, but this joy became my strength. And you've got to learn. Here it is, the command of the Lord. Be joyful always. Give thanks in everything, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. How much am I supposed to give thanks for? Everything. Do you mean I'm supposed to be? I, I took Greek, so I looked that word up. I looked up the word everything in the Greek to see how far it goes. And here's how far the Greek word that we translate everything. It goes everything. <laughs> it means give thanks in what? everything. Men of God, the command of the Lord. Do you love the Lord your God? Those who love Him keep His commandments. Those who love Him. We sang about He will cause all things to work together for good to those who love Him. He takes our sinful nature. He took my filth and caused it to work for good. I'm not offended by this. I remember, I'll tell you a story. I had a had a real problem. This is back in the 80s. I planted a church in Bellingham, Washington. God blessed us. We went to about 1,200 people in, in eight years. We saw thousands and thousands of people in Christ. I'll talk to you about a battering ram tonight. But we're, we're going through all of these, these things, and I'm, and I'm trying to figure out how in the world, God, what do you want me to do? How am I supposed to get all this done? And, and he comes upon my life, and, and, I, and I, made a, I meet a man, and I'm talking, and I'm, and I'm still a Marine learning grace, okay? I was learning grace then. I'm still a pastor, but I'm learning grace. God is giving me grace. Because I can remember like one guy came in and they wanted me to marry him. And I said, okay, I'll get you married, but don't you have any sex before marriage? If you have sex before marriage, I'm not marrying you. I'm not blah, 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 And all of a sudden, And all of a sudden, I found out they had just, one week before they were going to get married, they hit the rack with each other. And I said, you can hang that in your earlobe. You know what I'm saying? And they, so the guy says, you can't cancel that. Everyone's coming in from out of town, and they're da-da-da-da-da, and they're doing da 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 And the dude was a logger. And back in those days, you know the big chains? They used to use a big chainsaw by hand. You remember that, guys? They used, I guess, a machine now. But he, he, that's what he did all day. So he had these gigantic arms. And I said, I'm not marrying you. I don't give a rip. I don't care how many people come to this town. I'm not marrying you. And he, he looks at me, and he goes, he comes into, and he's just angry. He's just like, he, like he's going to kill me, you know. And he comes into my office, and, I'm, and he's saying some few adjectives. He's learned adjectives along his logging career. <laughs> okay. And all of a sudden, he says, and I'm going to do it. And I said, well, let me tell you what. I said, I've, I'm learning grace. I want you to know this. I'm learning grace. And here's how this is going to go in just a few minutes. I'm going to let you come behind that desk, and I'm going to let you hit me right here. And I'm going to let you plow my face, and you're going to knock me right to the ground. And then I'm going to get up, and then I'm going to kill you. I wish you could have seen this logger's face. He had never heard a pastor say, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> that man repented of his sin. About three months later, I married them. He became an elder in the church. It's, it's a great story. But I want to tell you, this is the kindness of the Lord, what righteousness is like. 
I didn't understand a lot of sins. I was a sinful, sinful man. I was an immoral man and all that, but I, this homosexuality was going down, and I used to make a joke about it and all that, and I said, Lord, you just need to kill all these people. That's how you end this stuff. Just kill them all like Sodom and Gomorrah. Just waste them, place, you know, and all that stuff. Show mercy on them, but kill them. And, uh, <laughs> and then this guy comes in, and these logger people have been always attracted to me somehow. I'm not kidding you. The guy comes in, he's a helicopter pilot from... Canada, and he flies logs out. That's what he does. He's in the logging business. He takes the helicopter and flies the logs out. And he's down there in our church. And uh, I, man, he's a man's man. I really like the dude. And all of a sudden, he says to me, and he says, I, I, on, I, I, would, uh, I would only lead people to Christ on Mondays and Tuesdays, okay? And you can't get saved on Wednesday, okay? And you know, I'm not saving you on Sunday either. And the reason is I got tired of people saying all this prayer and still living like hell. I just said, yeah, you know what? If you're going to still live like hell, you're just going to hell, so get over it. You know, the prayer didn't mean anything. You know, I was growing in grace. I'm, I'm much softer today, okay? <laughs> I lead people to Christ every day now. But in that day, it was Mondays and Tuesdays, and you had to come and see me. And I had always a waiting list. I was leading people to Christ all the time. They, now, I remember people on Sunday, I want to know the Lord. I said, is this Monday? <laughs> and and people... And people would go, well, what if they died? I said, that's God's problem. It's not mine. I'm not doing it. <laughs> so the guy shows up on a Monday. His, na his name is Don. And I said, hey, Don, what are you doing here? It's a Monday. Gus, I need to talk to you. Well, come on in. Okay. And he sit down. He had his Bible with him. And I, I see, you know, he says, I, I, I don't know the Savior like you, and, I, and I'm in a real problem. I said, well, what's your problem? He said, I'm a homosexual. I said, you're a what? You're a you're What? He said, I'm almost six. I said, oh, dude, you need a savior. <laughs> and he says, it's worse than that. I said, well, how does it get worse than that? He said, I've molested boys. I said, you've what? I said, dude, you ought to go to hell. You definitely need a savior. Right then and there, he knelt down. And I want you to know, he, I had never heard a man repent so hard in my life. That man wailed and shook and wailed all over my chair. Put a huge wet spot in the chair. Huge. He got back up, and he, like, he looked like joy unspeakable, full of glory. I mean, the guy looked like he had lost weight. He had lost weight. All that crap and that sin that had destroyed him was gone. So I, I discipled him every single day for three weeks. Every day I met with him for hours and hours. And at the end of three weeks, he came in. He's like, whoa, man. I'm, I said, man, is it good? He goes, oh, God, it is good. It is good. I said, man of God, you've made it right with God. We're going to go make it right with man. I'm taking you to jail. <laughs> and he said, let's go. I put him in my car, and I took him back up to Kamloops in Canada and turned him in. I remember being in that court case with him, and he stood there, and he said, to his most, they, in Canada, they say, most honorable something, something, something. And all of a sudden, he says, do you have something to say? And he said, yes, I do, but I don't want you to make any impact on your sentence of me. And he said, I am a new man in Christ Jesus. I am telling you, I have literally a new nature, but the only way you will know that what I just said is the truth is to watch me every day of the rest of my life. And they sentenced him to 10 years. He was in there for about four. Became an unbelievable man of God. Today, that man is not only a born-again man, he is a leader in a church. He's married with three girls, and his oldest daughter is going to the mission field. Now, if you, amen. How much sin does God take away? All. 
There is now no condemnation. If you are here feeling condemned today, stop it. Lay it down. Drop that chain. You're holding on to something you don't need to hold on to. Come and receive the righteousness, the peace, and the joy of the Lord in the Holy Spirit. That is the need of the hour for you and I today. I look at this. I pray out of his glory. I want to say out of Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you. He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Everything is, this righteousness is faith from first to last. And I pray that you being rooted Oh, men of God, I want you to be rooted. I want you to be rooted so strong that nothing will ever move you again. For you that have been divorced or you've been broken or you're in a pornography, I want you to know it is not the end of the story. I want you to know that your life is not over. I want you to know that God has an eternal plan for you. I want you to know that every time he looks at you and he does dance over you, he blesses you, he loves you, he wants to see you, he, he's going to, he has saved you and he wants something brand new. I, I pray this for you, that you being rooted, I want you to be established in the love of God. And all you have to do to be established in the love of God is receive it, lay down your will. Lay down your will, lay down your pretensions and your yeah buts, lay it down. Come and surrender your will to the Lord. Understand what righteousness is. Understand it is the freedom forever from the guilt and the shame of your sins. And it is the freedom from the power that seems to strap you down at times with a sorry, stinking attitude. Listen to this. Established in love. That you may have power together with all the saints. I want you to have power, God says. I want you to have Do you want power? Amen? Oh, men of God. Amen? Yes! You know, you know, I'll tell you a story tonight, another thing about amen, but it's just so good. I want you to have power with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. I want you to grasp it today. I know you've heard these words before they're just words. Receive his breath. Today, would you receive it as breath? Inhale his breath. Be rooted and established in his love. I want you to inhale this to you, that nothing will ever separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing's ever gonna separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I'm gonna tell you, nothing's gonna separate me. He declares that. This is the power of the Most High. I want you to receive a breath that you can grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of God for you that's in Christ Jesus. It's in for you. Will you inhale it? Will you take it as your own? Will you own it? Because if you do, I promise you, a joy is about to take place in you that someone's going to say, what in the world happened to you? I remember, I've got just a few minutes, and I'll tell you a story about my father. My dad was a Marine in World War II, Carlson's Raiders, joined the Marine Corps in 1939. 41 had happened. He was actually in Iceland at the time. They brought him back. He joined with Colonel Carlson. My dad went to the Pacific and stayed gone all those years, obviously. They didn't come back in six months or a year or 13 months or do many tours. They just stayed until the war was over. He had seven Purple Hearts. Wounded seven times after the third time, you're supposed to come back to the country and do something else. He would not. He said, I'm not coming until he used the vernacular of Japanese people in that day. And he wanted to kill every one of them. And then he came back. The war was over. Married my mother. He didn't know Christ, didn't know what to do. His best father he could be at the time. Drank a lot. Taught me everything about shooting and reloading and killing and hunting and fishing. In fact, it was wonderful. I missed snapping in week in boot camp and I didn't worry about it. I, I still did great, 
because of the training of my father. But by when I was 17, it was bad enough. He'd punch me down the hallway. I'd walk in the house, and if he was already home, I'd, oh, no. He never hit me in the face. He punched me in the chest, boom, when I was a teenager. Finally, on that day, I just graduated. I, he, in a, he punched me in the kitchen and picked me up, punched me down the hall, picked me up, and he punched me into my bedroom. And when he punched me into my bedroom, I grabbed his wrist, and he had these huge wrists. He was a big man, really strong. And I said, stop, and he did. I packed my suitcase and went out the window, and that's when I left home. As years go by, I came to Christ, and we got married, and I interacted with my parents. I loved my dad. My, my, I really did love my dad. I always wanted to be like, got the same tattoo he has. He had seven others, but I got the same one. I, I looked for this tattoo for thir- three days to get it. You know, it's a World War I tattoo, big bulldog, you know, and all that, USMC. And I, I loved him. But man, he would, when I came to Christ, he would tell me, you can take your Jesus and stick him up your blankety blank. He had an adjective for it, for butt, you know. And uh, I would say, oh, Dad, you're so loved. And one time, I'd, re- I'd really irritate him. He'd try to make me mad. He would always try to curse at me and make me mad. And, and all of a sudden, one day, I'd tell him, I said, hey, Dad, I was praying for you the other day. And he's like, oh, you <laughs> And I put my arm around him, and I said, you know what God told me about you, Dad? You know what he told me? I mean, he didn't want to hear it. And I said, he told me you're the best dad I'm ever going to get. <laughs> How cool is that? Huh? Huh? Whoa! I said, Dad, you don't have any power in you to make me mad. You can't ever irritate me again. Don't even try. Well, listen, you son of a bitch. And that was the day. He came up to the Bellingham, Washington, 1989. They were going to retire up there because I was living. My mom wanted to be up with us. And I had a lot of his guns in the trunk of my car and, his, and some reloading equipment. And he picked up the phone, and this is what he said. He said, I'm talking to him, and I, and I have six pastors on staff at this time. Everything's going really good. And he says, listen, you son of a bitch. And I said, Dad, you know I'm not a son of a bitch. You know my mother. <laughs> and bam, he puts that phone down. Next thing I know, I call back. My mom answers the phone, and oh, he's really t-. I said, well, Mom, you tell him if he doesn't get over to my office right now, every one of those guns and all that really on gear is going to be in the Dipsy dumpster, and he will never find it again. Well, so she said, he's on his way. <laughs> okay? He's on his way. So I went to all my staff, and I said, all I'm asking you to do something. You don't have to do anything. Just lay on the floor in every one of your offices, lay on the floor and praise God for my dad's salvation. Today, my dad will be saved. They said, who do you think you are? I said, because I know he's going to be saved. The Lord just told me this is his day. And so they did. And I said, just do me a favor. Lay on the floor and praise God. Okay, thank God for his salvation. Dad came in. He was very polite to the secretaries. We had three secretaries. He comes in my office, starts to say something. And I just said, Dad, stop. Why are you so afraid of being loved? And all of a sudden, he started to get tears in his eyes. I'd never seen my father cry. And this is what he said. Gus, I want to know the Jesus you know. He knelt down in my office. I'd never seen my father weep. And he wailed before the Lord, thanking him and praising him that he kept his life along this day. I got, it was the most wonderful time. He, he is another man that made a wet spot in my chair. He stood up like this, men of God. He stood up and looked at me, and he goes, I mean, he had, I'd never seen him really smile. He goes, Gus, I wish this would have happened 40 years ago. I wanted to say, so do I, but <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. said, me, yeah, I'm great, yeah. And he goes, man, I'd have lived a lot better life, and I'd have made a lot more people happy. I don't know how all that came out of his mouth. 
Within five years, dad would get a brain tumor and die suddenly. But for the next five years, that man was a radical change from darkness to light, became an evangelist like you couldn't believe. I mean, and he did it so naturally. He just loved people. And they, in fact, when he had his brain, his brain tumor taken out of his head, they keep you awake. And I'm at the hospital, and they're rolling him out, right? And the nurses are going like this. And says, uh, they knew me, and they said, uh, Gus, uh, is your dad a pastor? <laughs> I said, no. Well, all he did while we were operating on him is keep preaching to us about Jesus, that we all need to come and know this eternal life. And I'm thinking, I said, while you're operating on his head? You're taking a tumor out of his brain? They said, yeah. And I said, oh, Dad, that is so cool. That's going to be a story I'll preach. <laughs> Men of God, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Receive the breath of God. Receive the breath of God. Open his breath. Don't open it like a book. Don't open it like you're thinking of getting into some words. Open it and receive it. Receive your going. Pastors, when you go, don't prepare sermons. Go in to meet with God. Let him teach you. And what he teaches you, give it away. This is the beauty of the Holy Spirit. He's got something so grand for you men here. He's going to call you unto himself without guilt, without condemnation. He says, come and receive a gift. Come and receive my righteousness. Come and receive my peace. Come and receive my joy in the Holy Spirit. And then leave with the joy of the Lord as your strength. Amen? Amen. Oh, please receive this blessing. I'm going to close in a, in a word of prayer for you. Father, Heavenly Father, we come to you in the love of Jesus the Christ and we praise you. We thank you for the day a righteous man repented and he wrote it down for us. That he gave you the, us the beauty of your eternal breath to create in me a clean heart, restore the joy of your salvation in me, and I will teach transgressors your way. Father, I pray a blessing on these men. Some of these men have been, they felt shackled down when really they're holding the chains. Oh, Father, let them drop the chain. Let them receive this as men of God. Let them open their hearts and say, as a man of God, I'm a righteous man. I have no condemnation. As a man of God, Father, let me, use me, do something with me to shake the world in the beauty of your holiness. This blessing I ask in the love of Jesus the Christ. Amen.